But the big gain, I think, comes when cars can plan automatically where and when to drive and just pick up and drop people where they need to be rather than having people owning their own vehicle, parking their own vehicle, and having all these vehicles standing still in city landscapes. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind Machines in the Gradient Sense. Thanks that you tuned in again to geek out with us over the fascinating field of AI and the role of the human. We are Uli and Aburi, and we're super excited to introduce you to our today's genius mind, Mathieu Warren, who's the director for autonomous vehicles for simulation and test solutions at Siemens Digital Software. He envisions the future of mobility not only to be safe, comfortable, and efficient, but also silent and beautiful. I love that. And Mathieu also contributes to that vision with a balanced engineering, business, and user-centered perspective. But I guess that's enough of an introduction, so let's dive right into it. Mathieu, we are super happy to have you with us today. Thanks so much for taking some time to be the guest on our podcast. How are you doing, and where do we catch you today? Cool, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. And um, you catch me uh, from home, obviously, in uh, in Leuven, in Belgium, with um, almost a spring-like day with blue skies and uh, and uh, a nice weather to, to walk around for a bit. All right. So I, I would say let's let's start with an easy question first, right? Are you a simulation or, or are we all part of a gigantic simulation? Any clarifications you want to make? No, no, I, 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 I try to, I try to keep these worlds very separate. And even though I'm a big simulation guy already for, uh, for years, for decades almost, and believe, and a big believer in in what simulation can bring, I'm still very happy to spend life in uh, in the real world. And um, it makes me think of also what I tell my children, right? That gaming is nice, and being in Fortnite is uh, is obviously good fun. But, then, uh-huh. but that the real world out there is always uh, more important than what happens uh, on the screen. It's super messy, huh? It's <laughs> <laughs> well, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, maybe we should try to make it a little more down to earth, right? So, Mathieu, when will I be able to sum? And secondly, when will we have autonomous cars in the public? Now we have them today. It it just depends on where you are, right? So uh, there is uh, robo taxi services. Uh, active in in the US and, and in China, where people like you and and me can order a taxi and be picked up by a self-driving car. In a couple of places, even without safety driver, in, in a lot more places with a safety driver. But you no, know, autonomous vehicles are there. It's um, There's just big regional differences, and especially in Europe, uh, due to the, the way we work and we organize uh, legislation and, um, uh, and safety. Uh, it will take a bit more time in Europe before we see these solutions than in other regions. Right. And where does your passion actually for autonomous driving comes from? It comes more from the from an interest in urban mobility and creating better life a better life in cities than anything else. As I, I'm really if you, if you're able to step back and look at today's cities, particularly large cities, 
it's incredible how dominant the car is, right? How many cars you see, not only driving around, standing still in jams or, or before traffic lights, but also parked vehicles are everywhere. And it's nonsense, I think, if you would be able to leave that reality and, and start from scratch designing a city, you would never come up with the city that we that we live in today. Autonomous vehicles can contribute to uh, more livable, greener cities and for sure solve the problem of seeing cars everywhere you, uh, you look around. Do you mean that the future will look like that there will be a point in time where there aren't any cars in the cities anymore because they are maybe not needed or because there are so many other alternative ways of transport? Yeah, I think there will be cars, but when they're cars, they're driving and moving people from A to B, uh, rather than that they are parked or driving empty or are looking for a parking place. I've seen a research that said that 30% of the vehicle movements in cities is vehicles that look for a parking place. So if you would already take out these 30% of the vehicles, it would be a big improvement. Mm -hmm. So the, the notion of digital twin, right, it seems to be, you know, everywhere applicable. We talk to, to half and years and like, hey, we want to have built this digital twin. We're talking about buildings and, okay, we want to have a digital twin of a building, industrial processes, right? It seems to be everywhere in every industry, in every vertical. What is the digital twin notion of autonomous vehicles? What information needs to be included from your side? So for autonomous, the digital twin is inevitable. Right? There is no autonomous driving without uh, simulation and the reason for that is that where in today's vehicles uh, there is always the fallback solution of the driver in an autonomous vehicle there is not this so so that means that a normal car today with an adaptive cruise control system uh, a con cruise control system that remains a certain distance to a vehicle in front in highway applications is certified with roughly 150 tests on a proving ground and if the car fulfills nicely these 150 tests, then the system is ready to be deployed on the road. Meaning that for any other situation than those 150 situations, the vehicle relies on the driver to take over. So for any unexpected kangaroo that jumps over the road or uh, object that lies on the road that the car will not see, you rely on the driver to, to brake on time. If that driver is, is out of the car and no longer there, it means the car needs to react to infinite number of scenarios, meaning that you need a very different way of doing the verification of the safety performance of that vehicle. And the only way to do that is through smart simulation. Right. And how would you say is closed loop design related to that? And what does that actually mean? Yeah. So what that means is that if you run these uh, simulations, eh, if you run, say, hundred thousands of virtual runs of different traffic scenarios with different weather conditions, with different road friction levels, with different speeds of the different objects, you will be able to drive up the coverage of testing and come to a conclusion that even by adding more new situations, the performance of that vehicle does not change. It's no longer um, challenged. Anyhow, still there will be accidents. And in real life, we will continue to see new situations that the car was not able to react to safely. And it's that information that you need to capture and need to bring in that engineering process, uh, what we call the closed loop engineering process, such that you can update the controls of the vehicle or potentially even the hardware setup of the vehicle. And then through over-the-air software updates, do continuous performance 
improvements of the vehicles that are out there in the world. If it would mean hardware, yeah, then it's a different situation. But it means on on air updates. Yeah. Right? This is yeah, what you yeah, mean. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that is that's mm-hmm. what closed loop engineering is about. Why is it closed then? So it includes every aspect. So it's, it cl- it encompasses all different aspects. Why, why is it called closed? Open loop would mean I develop a, a software stack and I put it in the vehicle and I let the vehicle perform. Where closed loop means that I put it in the vehicle, I monitor the performance of that software stack, I generate improvements to that stack, and I continuously improve also with that the performance of the vehicle. So with closed loop, we mean that the development never stops, that you can even add new features over time. This is what we now step-by-step see happening in the automotive industry. But that's, for example, already applicable in the agricultural world, eh, where you can buy tractors, like heavy-duty tractors that have a certain performance normally. But if you had a bad weather day and the mud is too heavy and you need to do a very drastic task with that tractor, you can for one day order more power. And then an over-the-air software update opens up all the registers of that tractor and gives you all the maximum power for for a day to do that job that you want to do. And it's through these kind of features that you as a car maker, or or in that case, tractor maker, are able to uh, have a continuous revenue with your customers rather than sell your vehicle only once and uh, never see it back again. So coming back to simulation, so simulation seems to be the core, right? (laughs) Well, at least always part of the progress of in terms of autonomous driving, right? That's a vital building block. So how close in terms of, you know, the photorealistic generation, I guess, of data and also applicable scenarios, how close needs to be that actually in the simulation, these scenarios um, photorealistic or is there a different modality in there? And can you elaborate a bit of what are these typical scenarios, you know, um, that needs to be included in this simulation engine? I'm a big fan of, I don't know, GT, <laughs> It's like, oh man, this looks so nice. And we've elaborated also in the lab as well as in in research, you know, this this truck simulator and we run through entire Europe, right, with the AI engines on maneuvering. And I always wonder, you know, how how close needs to be this? And are there typically mentioned a couple of hundred and fifty tests or something like that? Are there, what are these scenarios and what kind of tests do we run through? Can you elaborate a bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. Let's ensure, by the way, that there is no autonomous vehicles in these GT kind of games, right? Then, then it would be a lot less uh, fun to do. It is. Uh, they're bots, right? I don't know. But we don't <laughs> want to talk about GT, right? No, no. Now, when it comes to um, simulation, so the, when you say realism, it's typically referred to as uh, fidelity levels. And we need different levels of fidelity at different stages of development. So if you design camera systems, you obviously need a very realistic uh, environment that this camera can see. However, if you do radar simulations or LIDAR simulations, these require very different reflective properties of virtual objects to give realistic inputs from the the simulation. So photorealism at certain stages is relevant, but for the massive validation and verification task, that is the key job of simulation when developing these autonomous vehicles. There it is of less importance, and there it's more important to generate 
realistic inputs for the perception system. And for that, we do not need photorealistic renderings. Okay, that means perception is like, uh, hey, Unreal Engine, come and go. Leader is playing Minecraft. We are okay with the concepts and because um, it's textual and we're using then the sensor fusion to simulation around that. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, what you need to ensure is that the Minecraft output is validated with what the real sensor sees. And uh, we, can, mm -hmm. we can do a detailed validation works of a model compared to the real world and compare the outputs from, from simulation with outputs from the real sensor. And if we manage to, to build the right sensor model, then, then indeed you have enough data coming out of the Minecraft blocks for your perception stack uh, testing. And when it comes to scenarios, that's a difficult question. And it's a question that the industry struggles with. There's a couple of sources of scenario inputs. One is, uh, which I think is pretty interesting, is accident databases. And so in many countries, you have accident research teams that drive to an accident as soon as it happened on the real road. And they very detailedly identify what exactly happened. And they generate a description that we can read out in simulation such that you can put your autonomous driving car in the a situation where human drivers had accidents. And then you can see what the performance is of the autonomous vehicles in exactly those conditions. And you can even start to play around a, a bit with the conditions. What if I do a bit extra speed? What if I had this situation with different weather conditions? So that's one big source. And the other big source is uh, coming out of that closed loop engineering process is that car makers record data and they, they drive around with vehicles on the road and they see new situations. And we take in these new situations and reproduce those in, in simulation. But then thirdly, and that's maybe right now the biggest domain of research is that we can synthetically generate these scenarios. And that by having that simulation environment, you can start off with that accident database or with these recorded scenarios. You start to play those scenarios and identify the domains of interest, identify the, the scenarios that are actually hard for the self-driving vehicle to tackle, to behave safely in. And in those domains, we then start to generate new variants additional uh, traffic agents or with different uh, road friction level with ice condition or whatever you can think of. So we start to synthetically generate the critical scenarios that will make the controller fail. And that's, um, I think, a very interesting new domain of, of research because then you can do falsification and you can really challenge autonomous vehicles in the, in the areas where it would hurt most. That sounds exciting. What role does actually verification play in simulation? Because that seems to be the biggest friction of new mobility solutions, right? So how does that testbed need to look like to be really approvable? And how do you verify this AI system? Yeah, so there's a couple of items that are really important. One is that the scale that you need to verify the performance of autonomous vehicles is so big that you need test automation. So you need an orchestrator that connects requirements to test case definitions that translate test definitions in a massive number of scenarios that somehow also measures coverage of the testing that you do and that takes in the output of these hundred thousands of runs to digest and to generate insightful representations of that data. So the one part is a smooth integration of your tool chain to run massive virtual validation runs or verification runs. 
The second part is then the closed loop engineering uh, topic that we started off with uh, in the discussion. And that's that you need to ensure that you somehow can add new test cases into that development process continuously, such that you build a kind of learning system that over time improves in, in its safety performance. All right, so much you. So vehicles need to move data back and forth and will therefore require to compute more and more. So this also means that cars will become the technical computer hardware for a mobility operating system, which will be the software on the other hand. But what benefits can we expect from this kind of software besides the driving part? Yeah, a new experience. Eh? And I think it's a very interesting stage where the industry is in. I spoke with a system architect who used to design vehicle architectures, eh? a functional description of what the vehicle should be capable of doing. And over the past months, he got the job to, to no longer look at the vehicle level, but actually start from a approach the vehicle as a node in a network. So start with a network architecture in which this manufacturer can add 5 million cars every year that all need to be connected, that need to be able to share information with each other and with the OEM or other interested partners in that ecosystem. So all the excitement we got out of our mobile phones, by the way, also the downsides that come with that connected capability, we will see during traveling as well, especially if you have shared vehicles. The competition will be tough between the parties that offer these mobility services. So the, the service that gives you the best experience is probably the one that you will choose when you when you can. So it's exciting and it's um, it's still a big question what it will look like. Mm -hmm. And what do you think? So if computing will shift more and more in the mobility and vehicle space, do you think that will also affect the chip production? And do we need to shift to a new hardware development technology? Yes, and, and that already started. So it's well published eh, that Tesla did the design of their own chip. We see more OEMs considering doing so, uh, starting up activities to do so. And the interesting scope of the portfolio that we offer to the industry is that we simulate from chip to city, as we call it. So we have the capabilities to model, to simulate and emulate chip design, system level, sensors, electronics, vehicle, vehicle dynamics, uh, powertrain, up to city level environments, vehicle to infrastructure communication. And because of that broad scope, that chip to city perspective, we talk with the people that have exactly this concern. We talk both with the chip makers that say, look, what is the spec of the optimum automotive chip, as well as with the OEMs that need these chips and all the different parties in between that try to find their new position in that value chain. Uh, so will there be AV-specific chips? I think the answer is yes. But will the OEMs be the ones to design those like Tesla did? That's, I think, still a big question for, for most of the uh, industry players, where, for example, Mercedes announced last year to work with NVIDIA, so to rely on NVIDIA for, mm -hmm. uh, for this. So you just mentioned the, the value chain. What role do you think will electrification play in that chain? And maybe also as a follow-up question, will autonomous driving really help us to create a more sustainable future? If, if it was not, I was definitely not doing what I'm doing today. So um, I believe it can. It goes hand in hand with electrification. And it even helps electrification in a sense that uh, one of the big hurdles 
of electrification is that it takes time to charge your batteries. Autonomous vehicles can obviously, in a much more controlled way, use their battery capacity and ensure that they charge autonomously when there is an opportunity to do so. Of electric vehicles, I think the contribution is obvious, and particularly in a sense that you have no exhausts in city environments anymore, uh, that you need to get the energy from, from somewhere else is also obvious. But the big gain, I think, comes when cars can plan automatically where and when to drive and just pick up and drop people where they need to be, rather than having people owning their own vehicle, parking their own vehicle, and having all these vehicles standing still in city landscapes. Yeah, that's crazy how many unused vehicles there are out there and how great actually the potential would be to optimize that. Yeah, absolutely. And also how big these vehicles are. I mean, typically now it's 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 no longer strange to have one person sitting in a 2,000 kilogram SUV, right? That's true, yeah. But already now there are like some solutions in cities where there are cars that use like smart paths to pick up people like taxis. That's already like kind of emerging. But yeah, sure, the potential would be... Yeah. I think we see the boundaries between public and private transport already blurring eh, step by step. Yep. Yeah, right. So, Mathieu, it seems to be the hot century challenge. And what are the greatest challenges you think that you will have to tackle in that field? And which role do you think will ecosystems play? We are at the beginning of a massive disruption of the automotive industry. So the players that have been there for the past 100 years, building combustion engines, more and more advanced chassis systems, they are taken over. They, they see these disruptors in both in the US, but also in China with smart electric powertrains quickly taking over and approaching the vehicle as a computer on wheels rather than as a premium status symbol for an individual. The big challenge for the industry is to adapt and to not become the Nokia of the mobile phone industry. What my contribution is, is in ensuring that through simulation can accelerate the development of these vehicles and hopefully also keep the the good players in the winning in the in, in the front row ensuring they stay competitive with these very exciting newcomers that by the way we also work with and to to make it very specific to my job so we deliver an off-the-shelf simulation environment replacing typically homegrown engineering environments And the big advantage of that is that the investments that a typical level four company now needs to do in this engineering tool chain it can be up to 50 or 60% of the total budget that they have. Whereas if we share that among the, amongst the industry and rely on standardized uh, simulation and, and test environments, we will be much more cost-effective. We will all learn from each other and, and build in the features that everybody needs desperately. So a lot of reuse, a lot of efficiency gains, and hopefully with that, we quicker can uh, see the benefits of uh, safe self-driving vehicles. So Mathieu, uh, we see two trends in, in the autonomy space. Let's say the one is the Waymo thing, right? which uses also driver-directed cameras, which is an interesting thing, right? And then you have the back of Tesla, which explicitly rather leaves 
leaves it out. So he, you know, pushing the tension mechanism only on the street and its complexity, right? What is your your bat? Will somehow one or the other, you know, recharge their strategy? It's like actually need to, at least for the transition, to move towards, you know, knowing about the user behavior and what kind of role plays simulation in this driver-directed perception? So one thing that I think is really important to realize is the that the approach of Tesla and Waymo is not only technically different, but also in the way how they approach the market. And so where Waymo focuses on level four robo-taxi services, Tesla still sells cars to individual people and step-by-step increases the level of autonomy of these vehicles. And, And in the end, both could reach a similar business model in a sense that Tesla already predicts that a feature that you can make your vehicle available for others and that other can call your vehicle to use it. So in the end, Teslas will also be a shared resource. But in the challenges to get to that stage, the approaches are fundamentally different. And if you develop a level four robotaxi from scratch, I think it's very feasible to take into account that to have an inward facing camera to watch the comfort and safety of your people on board. Mm-hmm. And if you estimate, so I need to ask a question, obviously, you know, level five, when will, will it be worldwide available? Uh, I think level five will never be there because <laughs> level five means that you have a self-driving car that can go everywhere. And yeah. I, I think we will not reach a stage where I'm in Leuven can ask my self-driving car to bring me to the North Pole or to yeah. whatever. I, I think that's not that's not feasible. So for me, it will be level four for uh, for a very long time from now, mm-hmm. with just increasing ODDs as they call it, with increasing operational mm-hmm. design domains, mm-hmm. step by step. Yeah. Mathieu, I'm uh, very much into quotes, and one of my favorite quotes is from Samuel Beckett, and it goes like this: So all of old, nothing else ever, ever tried, ever failed. No matter, try again, fail again, and fail better. And I think having a failure culture in place is probably highly important if you work on an ambitious project just like yours. How do you actually deal with setbacks? Yeah, so my first interpretation of your question was, can we accept self-driving cars making mistakes, causing accidents and and, and still like them? And I think the answer there is clearly no, right? So we cannot accept a machine to kill people because it wasn't programmed correctly. So there, I think the quote is, pre- is maybe not applicable. In my daily life, it's definitely applicable. And making faults in simulation is always easy, right? The impact of a fault in simulation is um, is very valuable, I would say. It's an easy learning curve. And, it, and the nice thing of simulation is that you can really dig deep into the details of why things went wrong, because you have all the information mm. available. Mm. True. And was there once in your life um, somebody who gave you a really, really bad advice that you <laughs> that you would like to share here with the audience? When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a car designer. And I, I saw myself designing Ferraris and other beautiful Italian cars. And at a certain point in time, I think it was actually myself giving the advice to me that it might not be wise to pursue that dream because... Yeah, the chance that you reach that is just is, is close to zero. But anyhow, since then, I for a long time, I should say, I stayed on the path to, to pursuing that dream and uh, studying industrial design engineering and 
starting to project at automotive companies, doing uh, driving simulator research and, and, and applying for vehicle design roles um, at uh, Toyota. My path took, took a slight curve there and, and I think actually into a very interesting direction. So I think just that anybody that advises to take like education decisions or career decisions based on ratio rather than based on dreams is giving the wrong advice. I think there is always ways to combine a rational rational outcome while pursuing a, a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of dreams, right? <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. So you, you, we've seen now the ugly. So I don't know. Maybe you're, you know, retrospective. But you have seen, you know, quite experience in, you know, in, in the past how it's, you know, sh- pushing automation and, and daring to dream. Is there any advice or lessons learned you are able to give, uh, you know, young talents maybe, you know, who, who are willing to try and, and wants to make a difference in corporations? Are there some best practices you want to share? Now, so one thing that I see right now is an extreme focus on AI, and even the title of this uh, of this podcast. I think AI is of extreme importance, but we should not overrate uh, AI. So I would really encourage engineers that want to work on autonomy and, and self-driving technology to keep their eyes open also for for different, maybe more traditional control techniques um, and uh, perception ideas than just throwing in as much data as you can find to uh, to generate an outcome that is that that looks credible. I think we also need a lot of smartness in designing energy efficient, generally efficient uh, ways of looking at the world. Now, I tend to believe that there is not enough attention within the engineering education today to keep that balance correct. Yeah, I agree. There's more than, you know, great invest um, backprop. Mathieu, thanks so much for sharing and thanks for, so much for your time today. Um, it was a very exciting session and yeah, time was really flying actually. And I think we definitely should catch up on this topic. Before we finish this episode, we would like to play Authentic Autocomplete with you. So let me give you for the closing a couple of sentence starters and you will just finish. So Siemens is... Built on innovation and still going strong. Beautiful. Autonomous driving is... Uh, Just a part of the solution that we need to solve in urban mobility. The world should have more of... People that care about others, people that that have less focus on their own well-being alone, but rather look for a balance between their own and others. Lovely. And last but not least, if I could invent a rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be... Look around and do something with what you see around you. Yeah. All right. It's, uh, yeah, that, that for me, it has been very illustrative Time, I think, or in the US, obviously, uh, over the past months. If we don't care mm. about others, then, um, then uh, it, it's just less nice. It's just less fun uh, for all of us. So, uh, if we yeah. build better cities with autonomous vehicles, then we should also watch around and invite someone else on board when going from A to B and have a nice conversation. 
Yeah, that's that's true. Mathieu, thanks so much for being empathic, uh, very honest, direct, down to earth. Uh, I love that that very uh, you know both the grounding in technology and grounding in having clear views on that. Thanks for spending time with us and uh, your thoughts in in this podcast episode. And folks out there, stay tuned. There is so much to come. Stay bold, committed, and open-minded, and we hear us definitely at the next Siemens Airlight podcast. Thanks, Mathieu.